All right. Hey, welcome again, everybody, to another Genesis podcast. Once again, I have no introduction planned. I'm just throwing words out there. So, Brad, would you like to introduce this? No? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you caught me off guard, but exactly. let's talk about the fact that we are in Genesis. And people, I hope you've been listening to this because there has been some great things that have come up. My mind has been blown. I hope yours has too. This is a Bible adventure of Genesis and... Wow, that was better than what I could do. <laughs> All right, this is Scott. And this is Brad. And this is not about us. All right, we're ready to go in Genesis 3. Uh, something that I didn't realize until after we were done last time is we finished Genesis 2 last time. And we're starting Genesis 3 now. That kind of caught me by surprise. I, Until I started my study this week, I didn't realize that was going on. So as we start this new chapter in Genesis, Brad, could you please start us in prayer? Absolutely. Yahweh, the creating God. Here we are. The mics are on. We're sitting down. We're going to bring you some glory some honor, at least that's the hope, as we look into your word and as we look into the creation event, as we look at our first interactions with you, help us provide the truth that you want us to provide. Help us see the connections you want us to see and share. Join us as the guest of honor as we discuss study, and celebrate your word and you. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. Okay, so Genesis 3. Uh, I'm going to read a few verses here to start off with, and, and as I start off with, let me just say that last my last Genesis podcast, I had something special. I hope you listened to it, because uh, it was really special to me. It, it made a lot of just deep, intricate connections, and that led to a powerful conclusion, and it was amazing. This time, I don't have that. I've got a lot of, that's interesting to me, that means something, but I'm not sure what it is, so we're going to we're gonna ponder it and, and go over that together, and we're going to throw some thoughts out there, but I'm not going to really have a lot of conclusions this time, and that's good. That's good. I don't know everything, so... You and I, listener, we're going to go into this together and, and see what comes out of it, hopefully grow a little bit closer to God. But uh, let's start with Genesis 3. I'm going to read several of the verses, then I'm going to come back. Genesis 3, starting with verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which Yahweh Elohim had made. And he said unto the woman, Yes, has Elohim said, You shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, Of the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, Elohim has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, 
you shall not surely die. For Elohim does know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as Elohim, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and she gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. So now we're going to head back to Genesis 3.1, and I'm going to read just the first part of this. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which Yahweh Elohim had made. Now you guys all know, if you've been listening to me for a while, I'm very heavy on the physical pictures that the Old Testament presents as revealing spiritual truths. And you should be. Right, very good, all right. (laughs) But before I go there, let's stop for a minute and take a look at the purely physical aspect of what this is saying in order to understand what's going on here. The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. So the serpent itself is compared to all of the other beasts of the field in the manner of subtlety. Did the beasts of the field have clearly defined and distinctive temperaments from species to species? That seems to be what it's implying here. Is that not correct, Brad? Yeah, no, that makes sense to me. And... And I read all the verses, so I'm kind of skipping ahead from this one verse right here. But here we have the serpent talking to Eve. Did did animals communicate freely with man at this time? It does stand to reason that man, having dominion over all the earth when there was no sin, would be able to do so. To have dominion, you need to give commands and you need to have them understood You need to be able to order things around, tell it where to go, and and what to do. Was there communication here with animals that, that we don't have now? And here we see Eve reason with the serpent in this story. She does not react wildly, wondering, how is how is the serpent speaking to me? She just has a conversation with him. I think it's interesting that later. In scripture, an animal will speak and the owner is startled by it. Mm-hmm. Uh, a donkey. A donkey yes. speaks and the writer is, uh, is startled by that. But here, they're not. So it makes me wonder, has this happened before? So did this kind of thing happen regularly? Also, later in the Bible, we see a time where the fear of man entered into animals. So... Before that time, we lived in a greater communion with the animals in a sinless world or then following the fall of man, still a world where sin had shallow root. So when sin in the world grew to a certain point, is that what cut off animals from connecting us with us the way they used to? Yeah, I'm in total agreement with this. This this is just my imagination going wild, but... And there is some scripture to back this up, but could you imagine being in such communion and friendship with the animals that you can walk up and hug a lion with no fear that it's going to attack you? Mm-hmm. Jump in the water, swim with sharks. Yeah. You know, just, 
I, uh, I have those visions in my head sometimes, and I love them. Just the thought of being, I'm a big animal guy. I love animals. So being able to just walk in one direction and encounter all the amazing things that God has just in that direction, whether I walk through woods, water, a plain, an open plain, whatever yeah. it might be, and being able to just encounter everything along my way without any sort of fear. And imagine this, not only to not be afraid of it, but to stop and and look at the animal and go, oh, hey, how have you been today? And have a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. But here we see the serpent conversing with Eve. And I don't know about you, but I always had kind of this picture of, of this is Eve's youthful, childlike innocence and stupidity just kind of uh, imagining Satan coming as a serpent and manipulating her and twist. And this is kind of the the sick, perverted guy in the car who's going to do nasty things and says, hey, little girl, I've got some candy for you. Do you want to come in? And the little girl says, sure, why not? And gets in the car to an evil thing that's about to happen. I kind of saw this. But now, and and we're going to get into a little bit more of this here, I'm starting to wonder, is that not what's going on? The the serpent, the the woman, just having a conversation, did this kind of thing go on normally with all the animals? Yeah. And so she's not, this is just normal for her. Yeah. But now, let's take something else into account here. Time is not specified in any way. We see some events that led up to this from creation, but we have no idea the time that has taken place from creation to now. For one thing, it's very possible that man, as well as God, existed outside of time at this point since he's a perfect being. So it's possible time doesn't even play a factor in this. We... We could be, from creation of Adam to this point in the story, there could literally have been thousands upon thousands of years take place. We simply have no way of knowing. But I kind of grew up with the idea that from creation to Adam naming the animals to Eve uh, being created with the rib to this point, it, it was a fairly short amount of time, maybe a few weeks. That was just my concept of it all. We have to understand it it could be it, it could have literally been a month. It could literally have been a hundred thousand years. We have no concept and no way of knowing. I don't think it's important to know, and that's why God didn't put it here. But I include it here for a reason, which I'm gonna get into in a minute. Uh there's there's time here that we don't know the extent of. Now, we tend to see the serpent as an evil thing uh, in this day and age because part, partly because of this story, uh, the story of the serpent deceiving Eve. But we have to remember going into this that God created every creature with a purpose in his creation. We have to remember that he looked at every creature he created including the serpent, and he called it good. Yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah, so the serpent was good. The serpent was, was 
part of his ecosystem and it had a place and it functioned properly within that ecosystem it and the serpent was designed by god and was perfect in god's creation so we need to understand that we tend to see on the fl- on the other side of this story we see we have a bias against the serpent but eve at this point had no such bias and adam had no such bias the serpent was just another one of God's creatures that, that they communed with. Plus, now, we've mentioned in earlier podcasts uh, when talking about the Holy Spirit that there seems to be a connection, at least in the word pictures, with some of the words and things we've gone over with snakes. Even the letter tet or teth, and the Hebrew, the Hebrew letter, the word picture in there means to surround and it can also mean snake. And we mentioned this in earlier podcasts that the Holy Spirit was sent to clothe us or surround us in God's power. And, and we mentioned how the Holy Spirit's purpose is, is as a protector. Eve was sent. The female side of, of Adam was separated out. And the female side is the help meet. And we mentioned how that comes from a word meaning to aid, to protect, to surround and this is the Holy Spirit we're talking about. And, and, and surround and serpent seem to have some sort of connection. And again, I don't have any real conclusions. I'm just trying to see the picture here. The serpent is created perfectly. God has a place for it. It could very much have been a physical symbol or representation of the Holy Spirit. It could have been, again, God gave us all these physical things to represent spiritual truths. The serpent could have been one of them. And in fact, right here, it says the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which Yahweh Elohim had made. That very fact goes hand in hand with describing it in terms that go along with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a gentle guide. It's not pushing. It's not demanding. It's not like mom who walks in when she's frustrated with you, grabs you by the wrist, hangs on tightly with a vice grip that you can't get rid of, and says, come with me, young man. We're leaving now, and you're being dragged along. No, the Holy Spirit holds out her hand and says, take my hand if you want me to show you the way, but if you don't, she won't make you. She's wooing. She's coaxing. She's gentle. She's subtle. So is this why, and the reason I bring all of this up, is this why Satan, a deceiver, a manipulator, he was not a creator. We've said this before. God creates Satan twists. Is this why he chose to come as a serpent? Is this why he chose a serpent at this time to guide Eve down the wrong path? Because it was the Holy Spirit that he was imitating, that he was mocking, mm. that he was coming in a deceptive means. Second Corinthians eleven fourteen through 15 says, And there is not anything to marvel at in this, for if Hasatan, or Satan, that's Hebrew for the deceiver, where we get Satan, for if Hasatan likened himself as an angel of light, 
it is not a great thing if also his servants liken themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. So Satan is described as coming as an angel of light. Did he choose the serpent specifically to come and speak with Eve because the serpent was seen as a protector, a, a, a surrounder, a, a, a gentle being who assisted and aided. Was it a physical representation of the Holy Spirit? And that's why. He could have, he could have used anything. He chose the serpent. There's a reason. He's not an idiot. Uh, he had a plan in this. What was that reason? I, I'm just putting out there, is it because he was coming in the guise of the Holy Spirit? Yeah. I just had an image in my head. There's no predator-prey system at this point. So the snake coming, now if the snake wraps around you, you you're terrified. Oh, mm-hmm. it's going to squeeze me. But no, what you're just painting there is this beautiful picture of the snake wrapping around you yeah, to comfort you, mm-hmm. to protect you, to to you know to keep you safe. I mean, the Bible says, you know, when when all is made perfect, children will play with rattlesnakes, children will play with poisonous serpents, and not be afraid. They'll kiss the hood of the cobra. They'll yeah yeah. So here exactly, we have a time where everything was perfect and everything was in communion and and love abounded, and a snake coiling around you would have been gentle, would have been warm would have been comforting huh um real quick normally we do the shout outs in the conversation but what you're talking about here i just finished watching two episodes of um a documentary series it's called the riot and the dance mm-hmm. um it's it's a lot of the points that you're making here he also makes so basically this guy cool he just says Okay, you've seen Planet Earth, you've seen all these documentaries, and they're all skewed towards evolution. Well, I wanted to make a documentary where we do the same thing. We look at God's creations, we look at the animals, and we uh, look at it through the perspective that God created them. He loves his creation, and, uh, you know, we should too. And it kind of opened my eyes to how I perceive our animal friends. It's very easy to go, cats and dogs, they're cute, they're cuddly, we love them. Ugh, bugs, spiders, snakes, mm-hmm. ugh, I hate those. And he does a really good job, I think, of showing how, no, no, all of these were good by, uh, uh, all of these were good according to God, much what you're saying here. So, sorry to interrupt real quick, but I just, the riot, no, the riot and the yeah. dance, it's, it's worth looking into. It's a crowdfunded thing. He's trying to get enough money to do his third episode. Very good production quality, everything. Highly recommended. Absolutely. No, uh, thank you for that. Um, but let me get back to where I was here with uh, the, the serpent. We were just talking about uh, uh, being friendly and all of that. And all of this leads into something else that makes me wonder about what's going on here. Now, spiritually, this, the serpent, is taken as a reference to Satan or to Lucifer. I'm not in disagreement with that. I, I totally believe that as a reference. Uh, that, that, that's uh, 
a physical picture of a spiritual truth. I think this is pointing towards Satan as the serpent, as the deceiver in that way. But one something that made me wonder about this, is this Satan directly at work here? And what I mean by that, there's, there's a few things that make me think Satan... See, I, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I grew up with the belief that the serpent is Satan himself. He's come in the disguise of a serpent, you know, looking like a serpent, or he's possessed the serpent or something to that effect. But this is Satan talking to Eve directly. I question that now. Not coming to the conclusion that this is absolutely right and, and that that's not Satan, but there's a few things that make me wonder. Genesis 3.1 says, the serpent spoke to the woman. It doesn't say Lucifer, disguised as a serpent, spoke to the woman. It just says the serpent spoke to the woman. It describes the serpent as more subtle than any beast of the field which Yahweh Elohim has made. These are very direct references to the physical creatures. Does it uh, reference Satan as an analogy? Yes. But the actual physical occurrence that is happening right here, I don't believe that it's Satan. I'm not, I should say I'm leaning towards thinking this is, this is the serpent. This is the animal that's speaking. Uh, something else to consider is that when Adam and Eve sin, we haven't gotten to this in, in reading these verses yet, but they're going to get punished. The serpent gets punished too. If this were Satan in disguise, God would know that and he would punish Satan. He wouldn't punish the serpent if this were the serpent being possessed and not in control, then a just and righteous God would not punish the serpent. It's not his fault what happened. If I go rob a bank and I've got a mask on and a gun and I hold everyone up and I got a bag of money in my hand and I'm running out and I yell and my name is Brad Allen and my address is, you know, yada, 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 and I go running out, and the cops come to your address and they say, what a stupid criminal. He led us right to him. And they try to arrest you. When they do their fingerprint study, when they do their analysis and they find out it wasn't you, I was just, I was just saying that to throw everyone off. It would be totally unjust and unrighteous and unfair to then imprison you anyway, knowing you didn't actually commit the crime. Someone was just disguised as you. You didn't have to use a real-life example. <laughs> I still have tragic memories of this, Scott. <laughs> but Satan comes as a serpent, and God punishes the serpent for it? That doesn't fit with me. It doesn't jive. It doesn't make sense. I'm thinking it's the serpent talking to Eve. Now, the reason I brought up time earlier is because we don't know how long time happened. Satan could have been talking with the serpent. Satan could have manipulated this whole situation. Hey, why don't you uh, 
Go ask Eve, what's up with that whole tree of knowledge of good and evil thing? Satan could have come as an angel of light, as a buddy, as a friend, talking with the serpent. Hey, what's life like in the garden? How you been? You know something that's bothered me? You know, you know about this whole tree knowledge of good and evil? Yeah, you might want to run that by the woman next time you see her. You know, I, I, I have no idea. This is all just conjecture. Uh, but we already see a trail in the scripture. The serpent speaks to the woman. The woman then gives the fruit to man when she falls. The woman is obviously not possessed. The woman is, is working of her own free will. When she gives the fruit to the man, who of his own free will eats the fruit uh, with her, and the serpent before her. I'm starting to see this as the serpent working of his own free will. Maybe deceived like the woman falling to a lie, falling to fancy words, what have you, but still doing it of his own free will. I've got two thoughts, if you don't mind. One, I I don't buy into the common idea that Adam and Eve were childlike and naive. I think that we are actually getting dumbed down as we go. I mean, think about it. They were with God. God was their was their instructor, was their teacher. I think they were smarter than we were because they actually know truth. And and part of that, what you're saying right there, kind of gets into time again. If Adam and Eve are created and they're infants, I mean, they're, they're newly created beings, if the serpent comes within a period of, like, say, five days, well, then, yeah. What has God taught them? Mm-hmm. You know, if... A greater length of time has happened. God has, like you, you've mentioned before in podcasts, is God going around going, and this plant is for this purpose. Ooh, How wow, exciting. tell me more about that. <laughs> yeah. And this plant. And God was teaching them, and God's walking with Adam, and then God's walking with Adam and Eve. And God's, yes, if a greater length of time has gone on, there is, um, there, there, yeah, there's knowledge. There's, I, I do think they were still infants in the sense of, these were newly created in the sense of mankind in its infancy. Right. But yeah, I don't, and I think Adam and Eve were pure and, and without sin, so we're just open and yeah. trusting. And, and if you want to think of naivety that way, then maybe, yeah, because they had no reason to distrust. They had no reason to put a guard up. But I think you're right. I think time has passed. They've been taught by God. There is... A great amount of knowledge here. And wisdom. Yes. Wisdom is experiences. Wisdom is knowing, okay, don't do that because I've had this happen before, you know. So they are gaining, the experiences that they have would make them wise quickly because they're seeing all of this stuff from the beginning. They're seeing all of it happening. So they'll gain wisdom as they're going. I don't think, yeah, like I said, I don't think they're um, quite as dumb as we portray them in popular media and all this kind of stuff. And then my other, my other thought, okay, so you've talked about how Satan kind of uh, parallels God poorly. 
Like he, he yeah. he'll use things that because he can't create anything, so he'll just take something from God and he'll try to make his poor version of it. Put a twist on it, spin it in such a way that that manipulates it to a different end, but he's not creating something new. So a thought that I had and like I said, this is all just us talking, trying to figure things out. This is this is just a thought that I have. It could be completely and utterly wrong. But I think that Satan wants his own kind of triuneness. He wants uh, that because he sees it. I agree. I think the spirit of Jezebel is his Holy Spirit. I think he uses... Jezebel, the 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 tempting of lust and pleasure and and all of these kind of things as his perverted uh, corruption of the the actual Holy Spirit. So maybe what's happening here? You're talking about the snake is kind of a representative of the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's kind of the same thing going on here. He's using his spirit. He's trying to use his spirit of yeah. Jezebel to tempt Eve into something that mm-hmm. she knows is not right, but you know, there's there's something to it. That's purely just my thoughts, my brain. I can, that, I'm not saying, right. that's truth, no. guys. Run with it. <laughs> Definitely something to ponder and consider. Uh, but, but yeah, right now, what I'm seeing is the serpent speaks to Eve, and then Eve turns around and gives it to Adam. I'm not seeing Satan possession, like I said before. I'm not seeing a disguise. I'm seeing the serpent is actually talking with Eve. Yeah, absolutely. Where he got to this point, we don't know. It doesn't say. Did he just come up with this on his own and he's punished for it? Did Satan talk to him earlier? Uh, the spirit of Jezebel uh, manipulating him. Uh, in that angel of light way, uh, why don't you try this? This is this is fascinating. This is wonderful. Uh, is it? Wow. Let me let me analyze that for myself. Ah, oh, that seems pretty good. I, we have no idea what happened, and so it's all just conjecture. I'm simply saying right here it says the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, and he said to the woman, and then the serpent is punished. That that to me tells me that the serpent was directly involved just like eve eve was punished for what she did she wasn't possessed she wasn't manip- she just fell to the lie did the serpent also fall to a lie in the same way do we just have a chain going on that we don't see the beginning of i don't know anyway let me move on a couple words stood out at me here then i checked them out serpent and subtle so i jumped into the hebrew of these. Now, serpent is Strong's Concordance 5175, and it's pronounced Nakosh, and it means snake or serpent. Pretty simple. But something that fascinated me, and it comes from the word 5172, which was Nakash. So it's just a, in fact, they're spelled the same way in Hebrew Nakosh, Nakash. They're pronounced slightly different, but the spelling is identical. And that means to hiss. Oh, interesting. So the word for snake actually comes from the word to hiss. 
not the other way around. I found that fascinating. But nakash, get this, it means to hiss. In other words, to whisper a magic spell. It can also mean to prognosticate, to divine, to learn by experience or diligently observe. And the reason I found that fascinating is because if the serpent was, if, if Satan was intentionally using the serpent at this time to be a mockery of the Holy Spirit, we can see both at play here in this discuss, in, the, in this interpretation. Even to whisper a magic spell, if you, that can be translated to whisper divine secrets, to whisper divine commands, which would be a godly thing that the Holy Spirit would do to us. The Holy Spirit whispering to us God's instructions for us in a perverse way, in a manipulation of reality, twisting it to his own ends, it becomes to whisper a magic spell. It becomes selfish incantations to manipulate your own situation, to control, to prognosticate, to divine. These, can, these, are, these are attributes of God, to tell the future, to prophesy, does he know the future? Absolutely. Has he given us the future? Has he let us know what's coming? Absolutely. These can also be twisted to prognosticate, to divine. Uh, divination is, is forbidden. Uh, we think of that in terms of necromancy and, and other black arts and things like that because it's a twisting of what the Holy Spirit does to us, leading us, guiding us into the future. And in fact, to learn by experience or diligently observe, those don't seem like evil things at all to us. This is what any good teacher gives to a student, uh, makes, lets them learn by experience, uh, teaches them to diligently observe everything going on so they can understand it. Well, this is being twisted too. Right here in this picture, we have Eve being told by the serpent, Learn by experience. Go ahead. Eat it. See what happens. So to me, and in fact, the word picture here, noon, uh, cheth, and sheen, one of the interpretations I came up with was faithfulness protects from destruction, which would seem to be the Holy Spirit leading us and guiding us. Another one that I came up with is that which is born of separation destroys. And it's like a direct opposite. Yeah. It's faithfulness protects from destruction, staying with that, that one that loves you. But being separated brings destruction. It's, it's a direct manipulation to me. And then subtle. Subtle goes along the same lines. Subtle is Strong's Concordance number 6175, Arum. Now, it can mean prudent, uh, which we would generally think is a good thing. But it can also mean, and it specifies, cunning, usually in a bad sense. Oh. And it, it specifies that. So, the word picture here, ayin, resh, vav, mem. One of the possible interpretations I came up with is 
being joined together with the mighty fountain of Yeshua, which would seem to be the Holy Spirit's job, connecting you with the waters of living water. Sorry, I'm messing my words up. <laughs> the waters of living you know, I just realized I was going to say the waters of living life. Okay, now I'm really messed up. The waters of the living word. Let's go with that. Uh, the, that is Yeshua, the Holy Spirit, connecting you uh, to the life giver. But another interpretation I came up with, to be seen as the most important, but actually binding you to chaos. Oh, my. And this, again, speaks of an angel of light guiding you into something you thought was wonderful, but ends up destroying you. And all of this together just seems to me to be talking about Satan trying to disguise himself as the Holy Spirit and leading us subtly down a destructive path. So I don't absolutely know what happened with the serpent in this situation, whether Satan got him to do it, uh, whether he came up with it on his own, I do believe that the sa- that the serpent here represents Satan in a uh, a spiritual sense. I definitely believe that, and I'm not saying any of those teachings are wrong. But what I what I'm getting here is the physical picture of the serpent. Is that the Holy Spirit? And is that why Satan's using him? I just see a connection in this whole, and this is just the first half of the verse, of the Holy Spirit and the the angel of light. I don't know. Any thoughts? I was just thinking God uses people for his purposes. So here's, and and, and usually, I don't want to say not getting directly involved, but a lot of times he'll, he'll make it happen that this person's here at this time to help this person and so forth. Is Satan trying to do the same thing here? He's not getting directly yeah. involved, but he's using his resources to manipulate it to the outcome that he wants. Yeah. God's outcome is great and wonderful. His is... I mean, it is just speculation because the Bible doesn't say, and Satan was wandering down the road when he knew the serpent would be there and casually bumped into him and mentioned, you know, we don't have that story. Well, and I always wondered too because... Satan's never actually mentioned, and neither is any, you know, there's no Gabriel, there's no, there's nobody else here. It's mm-hmm. God, man, animals. Yeah. You know, so I've always wondered, too, were they there? Were they in there with them, and they just don't have a need to mention it? Yeah. Uh, I, I believe that there was a lot more going on. The I believe there were angels in, in the garden with them. Uh, but again, you're right. Doesn't mention them. That's just me. I just believe it because this is a wonderful place. They would have been there, there with God. Uh, but you're right. I believe that the Bible specifies that which is needed for us. Mm-hmm. And those particular points are just simply not needed for our edification. So, yeah, if the Bible doesn't mention it, it's not necessary for our salvation for our growth so maybe i'm maybe this is a lot of nothing but my only point i guess what i'm getting it does mention the serpent spoke to eve it doesn't say lucifer spoke to eve right Uh, another thing about this that i found fascinating i'm going to throw it out there have no conclusions i just found it incredibly fascinating according to strong's concordance 
The word subtle, or a variation of the word subtle, subtly or subtlety, is used eight times in the Old Testament. Every single time, it's a different Hebrew word. Every time. And I wrote them all down. I'm not going to say them here because uh, I think it would get a little boring. But, but I just found that fascinating. I don't know what that means, if anything. Now, each one of those Hebrew words are also used elsewhere in the Old Testament, but they were defined in English as something else. Uh, for example, this word that we just spoke of, 6175, arum, can mean subtle, can also mean prudent, can also mean cunning, usually in a bad sense. So in another area of the Bible, this Hebrew word arum is used, but it's translated as cunning. There are only eight times that the translators decided to use the word subtle, or a variation of that word, as the English word, and all eight times come from a different Hebrew word. I find that fascinating. No conclusions, just wondering what's up with that. Yeah, interesting nonetheless. Yeah. So the last half of Genesis 3.1 says, And he said unto the woman, Yes, has Elohim said you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? Now, this is a fascinating thing to me. I, I don't consciously remember picking up on this. But Adam was there. Brad, I don't know what thoughts you had about this. I always had this image that Adam wasn't there. Or at least if he was there, he was nearby, but he's like, kind of like, I can see him over there, but he's not a part of this conversation. But when we skip ahead to Genesis 3, 6, it says, the woman saw that the tree was good for food. It was delightful to the eyes. The tree was desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and she gave also unto her husband with her. And I read, um, I'm going to get into this a little bit later, but there's another, I found a study talking about this. He said the original Hebrew uh, actually quotes it as saying, and she also gave some of her to, some to her husband who was with her. That's very, spe- very more specifically specifies he was there this whole time. Which again, going back to this Holy Spirit reference, the woman is we've talked about this before, separating when the woman side of Adam was pulled out from the male side, the woman's side, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, the woman being the representation of the Holy Spirit in this relationship, the serpent referencing the Holy Spirit possibly is not talking with Adam. He's talking with Eve. At, at this point, they're both Adam, but he's talking with the female side of Adam. I'm going to say Eve just for sake of, you know, try to keep it from being confused. But he's speaking with Eve, who is also a representation of the Holy Spirit. So I found that fascinating too. The, the, the serpent does not speak with man, speaks with woman. Woman! If you remember, she was designed to be Adam's helpmeet. She was his aid. She was his protector. She was designed to be there for him. 
is this Adam going, oh, Eve was made by God for me. Um, I'll, okay, if she says do it, I'll do it because, because she said so. You know what I mean? I, I'm wondering if that's where they were going with this. This was a manipulation of the role of the Holy Spirit, just saying, trust me. Trust me, I'm, I'm the Holy Spirit. It's actually an angel of light, uh, but you can trust me. Go ahead, I'm here to help you. I'm here to guide you. I'm here to aid you. Go ahead and do it. Now, something I find fascinating about this too, the serpent comes and says, has Elohim said you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? He expands the selection. He does not come and say, did Elohim say you can't eat of that tree right there, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? No, he doesn't. He says, did Elohim say you can't eat anything? This feels like a trap to me. And I don't know if it's designed to be that way, but it feels like, think about it this way. With a simple yes or no response, he can twist it either way. Um, If she says, yes, that's, that's what God said. You know, you should not eat of any tree. The, the serpent could say, but yet you have. You have eaten of some of the trees and you're fine. So why not eat of the rest? If Eve says, no, no, he didn't say that. Then the serpent could say, oh, he didn't say you couldn't eat anything. Well, then if he didn't say it, well, then go ahead and eat. It, it just feels sneaky to me. It, Eve doesn't answer with just a yes or no question, but it feels, it feels confusing. It feels like he's intentionally manipulating words to try to get her to stumble into a trap. Now, I'm going to move on. There's something very interesting here. Genesis 3, 2 through 3. And the woman said unto the serpent, Of the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, Elohim has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Can you tell me what the problem that is there with what Eve said? Is it the touching of it? Yeah. Genesis 2, 16 through 17. And Yahweh Elohim commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat Eat. of it. For in the day that you eat thereof you shall surely die. Why does Eve add to God's words? I don't know. Tell me, Scott. I don't know either. (laughs) This is one of those those, I have no conclusion because we're not given the reason. All we're given is that Eve, what Eve says is not what God told them. Why does Eve add that? God didn't say they couldn't touch it. He just said you couldn't eat it. Now, we're not told her reasoning. We're not told her understanding at this time. There's a lot of speculation about what could have happened. Man was given the commandment before the female side of Adam was separated from the male. So did she have all of the original Adam's memories since she was a separated being and, and the, the, that side was there from the beginning? Did she have the memory of God telling her directly? Was she informed of that rule later? Don't know. Well, could that be man adding 
to scripture, which is what we do, because it could be man adding. Okay, yeah. so Adam tells her later, mm-hmm. oh, oh, yeah, we we can't eat that. In fact, we can't even touch that. Nowhere in, in nowhere in God's word did it say that. How often have we done that? How often have we? And that's exactly what I was thinking. I wonder if this is the first time in history that religion replaced relationship. I wonder if this is man's laws overruling God's laws and becoming, uh, being treated as holy in and of themselves, but they're not actually God's and they help lead to destruction. So what if, just speculating, no conclusions should come from this, just throwing it out there. What if Adam and Eve heard God's laws, took them to heart, and with good intent said, well, we can't eat what we can't touch, so let's not risk accidentally eating the fruit by deciding on our own that we can't touch it either. You know, we have no idea if that conversation took place. We have no idea if that's what happened. We have no idea if Eve just screwed up here and misremembered. We have no idea if Adam and Eve on their own decided on that law and and added to God's word. We don't, we simply don't know. The only thing we do know is that what Eve said was wrong. That is not what God commanded. She got it wrong. Whatever her motivation, whatever the reasoning, it was wrong. And it could be, too, one of those things, one of those trap, another trap that we fall into, Mm -hmm. is perhaps Adam had good intentions by saying, you know what, let's not even touch it. Mm -hmm. Let's not even touch it, because he thought that was being, you know, even better. It was good intentions. But exactly what you were saying before, we've done this before. We have said, God has said, don't do this, so I'm going to add other more laws. And over time, it becomes treated as if that's what God said from the beginning. But it wasn't. It was what man came up with on his own. And when we treat man's laws as if they're God's laws, that actually helps us sin. That actually aids our screwing up. Which is what happens here. Yeah, because, I mean, think about it. When she decides to go ahead and do it, she takes the fruit, then eats it. This is just me pondering. What if her reaching out and picking up that fruit and touching it made her go, oh, I've touched it and I'm not dead. Oh. So I guess it's okay to eat it. Because if she thought touching it and you'll die too... She thought that was God's law, and she touched it and didn't die. That would lead her to accept the sin of eating it, thinking, oh, that must be wrong too. No, the eating it was wrong. The touching it was never wrong. But if you believed it was wrong, and you would die if you touched it, and then you picked it up and didn't die, now you're thinking, oh, oh, I guess that was all wrong. I guess I can go ahead and eat it. I can go ahead and do this thing. It's not really bad. And so then she partakes in disobeying God for real. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Again, it's all speculation. We really don't know what her motivation was, what got her to this point, why she said that in the first place, and what her thought process was You know, when she picked it up. 
And if that's what she was thinking, oh, I touched it, I'm okay, I guess I can keep eating. Because it doesn't specify that. No, but it's an interesting thought that then that's also the first moment we doubted God. Mm -hmm. She touches it and goes, oh, I thought I couldn't even touch it. Mm -hmm. Now she's doubting God, not because God did anything to be considered doubted. Right. She's doubting it based upon her own perceptions of what's going on right there. Yeah, and that's that is a physical picture of spiritual truth to all of us. How many times have we said, "Oh my gosh, I can't trust God because God screwed up." No, he didn't. Everything he did was perfect. Your perception of what he should have done was wrong. Did you in your in and of your own heart say, "We can't touch it lest we die?" And God says, "I never said that." And then you touch it, you don't die, and you say, oh, everything I believed is wrong. God is God has messed up here. No, God didn't mess up. You screwed up his instructions. So now, this gets really fascinating for me. Genesis 3, 4, and 5. And the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. For Elohim does know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and you shall be as Elohim, knowing good and evil. Now that statement, you shall not surely die. Retranslate that for me, Brad, right now. What do you think, what is he saying? You shall not surely die. What would you say in modern English or what, you know, if you were translating this word, telling someone this story, what did the serpent tell them? You shall not certainly die. So I guess... Is he telling them, you're not going to die? Basically. That's the way I thought of it. You're not, you will not surely die. What I found out, well, I looked up the word surely in Strong's Concordance. Found out that according to Strong's Concordance, they just relegate it to the appendix. Hmm. Didn't have a connection with it. And what I found out is that's, there's a reason for that. The word surely doesn't exist. We, what we translate as surely comes for from a different idea for a different reason. Now, as I was researching this, I want to point out, um, learnbiblicalhebrew.com was a pretty cool site. I want to uh, give that a little shout out here, and it's learn-biblical-hebrew.com. Uh, it was really helpful in this regard, and I'm going to give you what they said here. You shall not surely die, in the original Hebrew, can literally be translated in English as certainly you will not become mortal, as in, and this is the way I always translated this word, you will not surely die, as Satan was telling them, you're not going to die. Of a truth, you're not going to die. That's what he was telling them. But it can also be literally translated as it is not certain that you will become mortal. And he goes on to say in live biblical, learnbiblicalhebrew.com that the Hebrew seems to favor this second reading for the following reasons. And I'm going to quote him here so I don't get it wrong. Quote, In biblical Hebrew, when an author wants to emphasize that an action is certain beyond a doubt, he will use an infinitive phrase. Such phrases occur when the infinitive of a verb closely precedes the actual subject verb of the sentence. 
For example, in Genesis 2.17, the infinitive phrase, to die, you will die, is translated as, surely you will die. Or, certainly you will die. End quote. So, what he's saying is, the equivalent, so there's this word certainly or surely doesn't exist in Hebrew in this way. What he's saying is in the, in the equivalent in English, I suppose, that to us that's a little difficult to understand. To die, you will die. Uh, grammatically speaking, we don't think in those terms, so the, he, the, the, the English authors changed it. But if we want to think of it this way, it's almost like it's saying, on the subject of death, you're going to die. So it's basically saying there can be no if, ands, or buts about it. This is a certainty. And that's why they change, that's why they translate it. Surely you will die. Now I'm going to go back and quote again. So, quote, here the author wants us to know that death is a certainty beyond a doubt. These infinitive phrases are very common in the Bible and are universally translated using certainly or surely. Indeed, wherever the words surely or certainly or without a doubt occur in an English translation, the underlying Hebrew almost certainly consists of an infinitive phrase. To express uncertainty then, the biblical authors negate the infinitive part of the construct as in, not to die, you will die. And that is exactly how this is written. Literally translated, not to die, you will die. So how is an infinitive of certainty negated absolutely? To express the idea, you will absolutely not die. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. The negation not is placed between the infinitive and the verb. Had the serpent desired to state absolutely that the humans would not become mortal and that God was lying, for example, Genesis 2.17 would have been written, to die, not will you die. Thus, giving, thus given the plain reading of the Hebrew, I translated this phrase as, it is not certain that you will die, end quote. So according to that, and I hope that was understandable to everyone out there, in the original, because the original Hebrew, the grammar is different from English. So reading that doesn't make a lot of sense at times, has to be translated into what we comprehend in our language for the rules of grammar. But when this says, when the serpent said, you shall not surely die, essentially what he's saying is, it's not absolutely certain that you will die. He wasn't saying, oh, you're absolutely not going to die. That's a lie. He was saying, it's not a given. You know, it's not a definite thing. And that understanding changes this into a brilliant, manipulative sentence. This this blew my mind away because I always read that growing up as you will not surely die. Like the serpent is just going, that God, what does he know? You're not going to die. 
No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying you will not absolutely die. It is not a certainty. It is not a fixed absolute that you will die. There is a brilliance to this statement because it is a lie in the intent, but it is absolutely truthful on its own. As we saw in Genesis 2.17, when God tells man, surely you will die, he's not threatening him with death if he eats the fruit. He's not saying, you eat that fruit, I'll kill you. He is warning man that the eating of the fruit would cause his death eventually. In the day that you eat it, you will die. When man did something wrong before eating the fruit, he was innocent of sin because he didn't know what good and evil were. Once man ate of the fruit, he would then know what good and evil were, and his first wrong act would therefore be sin. That would separate him from God and therefore kill him. So God, perfect God, who understood what would happen and understood if man ate of that fruit, he was going to die because he was going to sin. There would be some point after eating that fruit that he would choose evil and therefore it would be held against him and therefore he would be dead. But Satan's lie is clever and is brilliant because it's an an absolutely truthful statement from his point of view. You will not certainly die. It is not a guarantee because technically man could have eaten the fruit, understood good from evil, and then for the rest of his life, always chosen good and never chosen evil. Technically, that was a possibility. So Satan's statement is a truthful one. You will not certainly, absolutely die, but God knew. Oh, yes, you will. God's statement is outside of time, knowing all truth and making the statement, I know you will die. Once you eat of this fruit, death is going to come to you. But Satan's statement from our position is technically correct. It's an interesting thought that you can lie with the truth. Yes. You can deceive with the truth. That's really interesting. Because that's just it. It's being, it's the truth. It's a truth. It's a truthful. It's a factual statement. Let's put it that way. But it is said manipulatively as if to infer that God is trying to hide something from man in a way that does not have man's well-being in mind. This, this changes this whole statement of the serpents for me. And, and I don't want to say I admire it, but it is, we, I, I do want to say we have to recognize Satan is a master deceiver. He is far more brilliant than any of us will ever be. And that is why we need to put on the mind of Christ because we are no match for him. We have a tendency to think of Satan as this devious little imp that rushes over, spills coffee in your lap, and when you're screaming, he goes he gleefully, <laughs> and then poof, vanishes into the distance and goes, I just created some havoc, yay! No, he is a master. He is, he is the ruler of, uh, 
an evil army that seeks to conquer the world, that seeks to conquer the very throne of God. And he's not just a blind idiot running around doing goofy things. He has a master plan. This right here is a brilliant statement. We have to recognize it as such and give him the credit for the deception he's capable of. This is a master tactician at work. He is something that uh, one of the one of the pastors that I follow and listen to some of his YouTube videos will frequently say is Satan knows scripture better than you do. Yes. He knows the he knows the plan better than you do. Mm-hmm. You know, something that it's just something to think about. He is a master planner, a master tactician, a master commander. Now I'm going to end my Genesis study right there for now, but along those lines, one of the reasons I do want to bring that up is because in these end times, we see things going on. I see a lot of people talk about, you know, things will happen and, you know, well, could this have been part of the plan? Could this have been part of the design and what's going on over there? And I'll hear a lot of people just scoff and they'll say like, oh, you sound like a conspiracy theorist. Guys, we have to recognize there is an intensely intricate evil plan out there. And it's been going on for thousands of years. And it is and it and it comes from the mind of a master manipulator. I anymore when someone says, Oh, that sounds like a conspiracy theory, I automatically I tend to give it more credence. Yeah. I see that. Because I see even... Did you know that even that term conspiracy theory was invented by the (laughs) CIA to throw people off who were actually getting too close to the truth? Yeah, you... I only know that because you actually told me that, but yeah. Yeah. So so to you, the listener, yeah. um, MKUltra, all of these things that the CIA was doing that we've now discovered, oh yeah, they really were doing it. Oh, all of these plots that people were finding out about and printing and saying this is what's been going on. Uh, and the CIA, it was, a, it was an intentional propaganda scheme to say, oh, those crazy conspiracy theorists and to get us all to roll our eyes at that and blow them off because they were getting too close to the truth. So when any time someone says, oh, that sounds like a conspiracy theory, I admit I, that doesn't mean I automatically believe it, but my ears perk up and I go, oh, let's look deeper into that then. Because if someone's trying to discredit them, are they actually too close to the truth? So guys, all I'm saying is Satan is a master manipulator. He's the general. He's the ruler of a massive army. He has brilliant plans at play. He's not more brilliant than God. We we know who wins in the end, but never underestimate his level of planning. And don't just blow anything off that you hear about what's going on in the world in at large or behind the scenes in the spiritual world. That's why I always look uh COVID with uh race riots with uh, uh, anger between nations with whatever is going on, I always ask, what is Satan's purpose behind this? And I try to discover 
I, I ask myself, and I, and I ask God, more importantly, what is the plan at work here that we should be seeing? Don't blow that off. We see it right, right here in Genesis 3, how this master manipulation is going on. Any last thoughts before we wrap it up, Brad? Just that I'm in total agreement. I, uh, I follow a lot of prophecy, YouTube sites and whatnot, and, and uh, anyone catches me watching one of those, they might say to me, hey, you are, you're looking at some weird stuff there. Those are all conspiracy theories. No, mm-hmm. no, I'm not saying that they're all correct, not saying that they're all right, but at the very least, they give me some idea of what's going on. I'm confident in the fact that I know how it all ends, and I'm confident in the fact I know what's going to happen to me. So I'm not scared, but I'm definitely intrigued. Correct. We shouldn't live in fear. But just like Revelation, uh, we talked about Brad uh, at the timing of this. This is August 15th, 2020. Uh, I'm recording. Is this Genesis 12 that we're recording now? 12 or 13. I forget which one. You'll know when it comes out there. It'll say. But... Brad just finished recording Revelation 6. Yep. And he spoke about this too, the fact that a lot of people, uh, a lot of people, the churches don't want to deal with Revelation. And one of the reasons is because it seems to talk about bad things that uh, aren't uplifting and good and wonderful. And, and it seems to be depressing. And we have to realize God gave us what the enemy is doing for our benefit. Well, and I also just find it intriguing to see how clever and to see the master plan of the enemy happening, but knowing, well, Jesus is more clever than that. Mm-hmm. And so it just makes me appreciate Jesus even more and be even more impressed. Constantly, I get more impressed. Okay, if that's what the, if that's what the deceiver is doing, and that's pretty intelligent. That's pretty smart. I'll give him credit for that. Mm-hmm. Jesus is still smarter. He's still yeah. more clever. He's still gonna. He's still gonna defeat that. And in recognizing his Satan's cleverness, should bring us to our knees and draw closer to Jesus than ever before. Yeah. This should be a humbling thing, where where God's letting us see that, so that we depend on God all the more. That is wisdom to let us see the machinations of the enemy so that we run to God and not try to do this on ourselves or by ourselves. Sorry. Truth. All right. So with that, I guess we'll wrap this one up and we will call it good. As always, this has been Scott. And this has been Brad. And as always, this is not about us.